You're listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Robert Green on Sunday, March 14, 2021 at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church, visit us online at redemptionhill.com. By the time, some of you may have heard me tell this part of my life before, but by the time that I had graduated college, I had been to 18 schools in the kindergarten years to the time I left college, 18 schools. And for all of the change and all of the travel, and I enjoy a lot of the change and I enjoy a lot of the travel, I can't say that any of the journeys in those years were anywhere near as edge of your seat thrilling as the Apostle Paul's travels and the Apostle Paul's journeys. But I think I I do know what it is for a certain place and a certain people to have a particular or special part of your heart. As we read Dr. Luke's account in the book of Acts and we read Paul's letters to the churches, historians have helped us to see that there's a sense in which the church in Ephesus was that kind of special place for Paul. It alone, just the city itself, was a very compelling place. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire behind only Rome and Alexandria. In this province of Asia, it was the central city for trade, for, for business, for, for travel, and for religion. You know, there in Ephesus stood one of the seven wonders of the world, the, the temple for the worship of Artemis. The temple to Artemis was three times the size of the Parthenon in Rome. And Ephesus, along with its worship of Artemis, was the center in the region for magic and the occult. And Ephesus, of no other city in the region, had three temples devoted to Roman emperors and the worship of those emperors. But not only was the religious nature of the Roman Empire on display, the Romans and their benevolence in their minds allowed other religions to prosper as well. And there was a thriving Jewish community in Ephesus. There were multiple synagogues in Ephesus. And so you find in Acts chapter 18, this man named Apollos, who we know of by Luke's account as a great preacher, showing up in Ephesus, going to the synagogues and preaching the truth of Jesus compellingly. So compellingly that Priscilla and Aquila heard him and pulled him aside and said, man, you are so gifted at this, but the gospel is deeper still than you even realize. And they began to help him understand the fullness of the gospel. And Apollos left Ephesus to continue his travels, but right as he left in his wake in Acts chapter 19, Paul comes to town. And Apollos had been sowing the seed of the teachings of Jesus and watering the seed. But Paul shows up and preaches, and the entire city gets turned upside down. He preaches the gospel in Ephesus. And it's so compelling to those who hear that a riot breaks out because all of the people who are steeped in the occult and in the magic and and many of the workmen who would make the idols that were used in these false worship services and this tourist industry of people coming to worship Artemis, all these people began to repent and began to melt and burn their books of magic. And man, that upset a lot of people in the local economy and leadership and a riot broke out. But for three years, you can read it in Acts chapter 19, Paul remained in Ephesus, preaching the gospel and giving himself to this city and and to these people. And after three years, when he, he finally left and 
You can read a little bit about that journey into Acts chapter 20. We talked about it last week. He, he travels around and he's taking up a collection for the church back in Jerusalem and he's eager to get back to Jerusalem. That's what Luke said in verse 16 that we read. He's eager to get back to Jerusalem with this collection for the Pentecost celebration. And so eager is he to get back, it says in Acts 20 verse 16 that he decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time there for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem. I think Paul knew that if he did stop, he'd never get out in time. The people of Ephesus, the church and the city, they had a special place in his heart. He had close ties there. and Being aware of that, he stopped short of going back. and He sends out some of his companions to go and grab the elders of the church in Ephesus and bring them to him. Because he has some final words for them as they lead and care for the people in this church. And you've got to read it like a human to get the, the sense and the feeling of what we're going to hear this morning. And Paul stops short of sailing into Ephesus and he sends out those associates to get the elders. It would have taken days. Days to get from where they were to Ephesus. Days to get from Ephesus back to where Paul was. But so important was this to Paul. So vital was this in his heart that even in his hurry to get back to Jerusalem, he pauses because he has something he wants to say. And so when the elders arrived with tear-stained cheeks, Paul gave the elders of the church a charge, a charge to love and to lead, to guard and to enable the growth of the church and to do it with humility Courage, steadfastness, and hope because the church is the people that God purchased through the blood of his son. And this morning in our time together, I I want us to consider some of the aspects of this charge that Paul gives these elders here as we install four new elders and pray for them this morning. Brother pastors here at the church, I want you to hear Paul this morning. I want you to hear his charge to you this morning. And church family, as you hear God's word this morning, you may be tempted to think, well, this really isn't for me, but don't give in to that temptation. Just because it's not about you doesn't mean it's not for you. As you hear this morning, I want you to hear how you can continue to pray for the pastors of your church. What character traits and aspects of the men that God has given this church should you look for. And for those of you listening here this morning who may aspire, men here aspiring possibly under God's direction to serve this church as pastors or elders, I want you to hear what Paul says to you. And so as we begin to jump into his words, let me just make a couple very simple, very preliminary marks about this term, this phrase, elder. When we talk about elders, when we read about elders in the Bible, we're we're not talking about those guys that show up to your door in the white shirts and the black tie and the name tags, Elder Joe and Elder Tom from the Mormon church who knock on your door. For a lot of you, that might be the only association you have with the term elder in the context of a religious environment. Elders, as we come to understand them in God's word, are men who serve in an office of the church. 
There are men who are in the church who have been burdened by God for the well-being of his church and then deemed qualified according to Scripture for the responsibility of shepherding God's people towards maturity. They're an office in the church set apart by God who, who will endure a stricter judgment in the end for the way that they have loved and led his church. And here, in, in what Paul has to say to these men on the edge of this water, this last time, as he is saying it through his tears, you'll hear him speak to them as elders and, and overseers and those who are called to care for God's people. That word care for right there, you'll see sometimes translated as shepherd God's people. In English, it's where we get the word pastor. So these elders that he speaks of, these overseers, these shepherds, these pastors, it's all the same word. It's all the same thing. Throughout the New Testament, the writers will use these words interchangeably to talk about the role of leading God's people, the roles of pastors or elders or overseers. Same role. Oftentimes, the different word is just emphasizing a different aspect of the function. But here at Redemption Hill, when we talk about elders, we're talking about pastors. When we talk about pastors, we're talking about elders. We don't have elders who aren't pastors. We don't have pastors who aren't elders. It's the same thing. That's who Paul is addressing here directly. And if you've been in the church for a while and you've heard anyone talk about pastors or you've heard anybody talk about elders, you're probably most familiar with the character qualities that Paul lays out for this office in the letters that he writes to Timothy and the letters that he writes to Titus. These, in a sense, really are the true prerequisites for, for serving the church in this way. They're, they're fundamentally character-driven. They're not competency-oriented. And if you've never heard them before, they sound like this. He, he calls these elders to be above reproach and the husband of one wife and sober-minded and self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. One who manages his own household well with all dignity he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. These are all the, the character qualities required by God for those who would serve his church as pastors or elders. But I want you to hear something here in Acts chapter 20, when Paul is addressing these pastors in the church in Ephesus, these elders that he calls to himself, he hasn't written those letters to Timothy and Titus yet. He hasn't laid out those distinct qualities of character that need to be found in the shepherds and the elders of God's church. But as we listen to what Paul says to these elders from Ephesus, you can hear the groundwork of those things being laid. You could hear the groundwork for those qualities being put in place. And so this morning, I just want us to listen close. I want us to hear the charge that he gives those that God would call to lead his church. And the first thing that God, through the apostle Paul, would say to those who would serve his church as pastors is this. Brothers, you must embrace selflessness. Verse 19, Paul says that all that he has done and all that he continues to do for the church, he does with all humility. Serving the Lord with all humility. In verse 24, he says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. 
if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. As gifted as he was, the Apostle Paul was not all about building his name and his ministry. He did what he did because he understood that he was called to it by God and he loved the people of God. And all that he did, he did as he was serving the Lord and loving God's people. And all that he did for the church, he did as an act of worship. I just want to finish the course that God laid out for me. And the days that God would call us to be his people in this church, if he gives us decades to come in his timing, he, he may very well raise up in this place extraordinary leaders. And I, I pray he does. But it's not about you. Those who would serve this church and any capacity of leadership, especially those who would have the privilege of serving God's people as a pastor, as an elder. It's not about you. The minute you begin to make this ministry about you, you introduce into the body of Christ a deadly pathogen. Brothers, you've got to embrace the humility and the selflessness that comes with the gospel. It's a particularly dangerous trap in a day like ours of technology and and social media and, and celebrity. When gifts can be put on display in a way I'm not sure they've ever been able to put on display before. And gifts that can be used for the protection and the building up of God's people can be put out there in such a way that it's hard sometimes to diagnose the motive as to why things are going out there and why things... It's another sermon for another time. Brothers, you're going to have to embrace a selflessness. And not only that, you're going to have to get comfortable with sacrifice and the tears that will accompany it. Verse 19, Paul says, As I've served the Lord with all humility, I've done it with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. In verse 31, he says, remembering that for three years that I was with you, three years I taught, three years I loved, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Brothers, if you're not ready to be misunderstood, mischaracterized, misquoted, even opposed by those that you love, then Paul would implore you to reconsider serving in this office. Serving the church in this way comes with a lot of tears. Everywhere Paul went, people sought to discredit him. Every time he turned around to look at one of the churches that he had loved and served, he sees people seeping in trying to disqualify him amongst the people, trying to distract and persuade the people to something that Paul will say to Timothy causes him to swerve away from a sincere faith and trust and hope in the gospel. Discord would be sown. His life would be threatened. 
That's why as we get back to 2 Timothy and in the coming weeks, you're going to hear Paul talking about not being ashamed of him and ashamed of the gospel as some were. Hymenaeus and Alexander, they turned. Brothers, people we love will leave. People we love, sheep, it's just part of it. Sheep will bite. Brother, there's an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion, and oftentimes the the greatest weapon that he uses against your heart as a servant of the church is the sheep who are on their way out. Brothers, you're going to have to embrace and become comfortable with sacrifice and the tears that will accompany it. But it's also a sacrifice because it's going to require a particular level of investment and intentionality on your part. Paul didn't see himself as a professional of sorts that retained some level of a professional detachment. His his care, his love was intentional and it was deep. Listen to what he says in verse 18. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. In verse 20, he goes on to say that I was teaching you in public and from house to house. He would have resonated with Piper's great book, Brothers, Pastors, We Are Not Professionals. Brothers, this office, this responsibility, it it doesn't fit neatly into nine to five categories. And I'm especially humbled and amazed by those of you that God calls to serve in this way whose vocation is outside of the church. Most of you will have outside responsibilities, outside vocations and jobs, along with families to love and serve, and then the sheep of this church to love and serve as well. And if you haven't already learned, you'll learn very quickly that the needs of the church don't happen on your schedule or according to your timetable. And there will be seasons when you will wonder if all the sacrifice was really worth it. But I want to assure you that the God who has called you is the one who will equip you. And all of the tears that will come are not always tears of sadness. They're the tears of joy as you see souls saved and marriages restored and families reconciled. I promise you the sacrifice and the tears that will come, they're worth it. They're worth it. But you're going to have to be able to embrace the sacrifice and what comes with it. But not only that, Paul is going to remind these pastors and he's going to charge them, brothers, if you're going to serve God's people this way, you're going to have to exhibit courage. Listen to him in verse 20 again. He he reminds them of how he did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. I didn't shrink because sometimes doing this is hard. And we're going to get there in a second. But listen to what he says in verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Brothers, if you haven't realized it already, 
Listen to Paul. People will not always welcome the profitable truth of God's word. Just because it is the inerrant and holy and good and righteous and profitable in every way for all of life, truth of God's word, people are not always going to be eager and ready to receive it. I mean, just be human for a minute. I mean, there are times in my own sin and selfishness that I don't want to hear it and surrender to it. And sometimes people will not only not want to hear it, they will actively push back against it. But love requires that we act courageously and not shrink back. Brothers, you're going to have to exhibit courage. This courage is also required to protect God's people from wolves. Wolves have one intention for sheep. It's not unity. It's lunch. Brothers, we're going to have to have and exhibit an appropriate courage to protect God's people from influences and influencers that would seek to draw them away from a pure and sincere devotion to Christ and from a delight and enjoyment in the gospel. Much of 2 Timothy is going to be about this. There are influences and influencers who cause God's people to swerve. I love that he uses that word. He causes their hearts to swerve away from a pure and sincere devotion to Christ to that which would destroy them. He's going to call some of these influences and influencers gangrenous. He's going to call them by name too. That's going to be interesting when we get there. But we're going to have to have courage, courage to protect God's people from the influences and the influencers that would draw them away from the enjoyment of the gospel. But listen to Paul here. Verse 31, be alert, right? But remember, for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. The courage that we're required and called to exhibit is a courage that's born out of love. And if you don't hear anything else around this, at least hear this. The manner in which we seek to protect God's people matters. You and I are not allowed to be quarrelsome for the sake of being quarrelsome. And the best way that I can understand it is the way I have to deal with it and approach my own heart in my own home. For those of you that have kids, you recognize and you've come across in moments from the minute that they're born, really, they don't have to be a certain age. There are times when your kids can find themselves under the influence of something or someone. And your life experience can tell you whether you know the detail of what's happening or not, that that influence is going nowhere good. It is only going to lead to hurt and to pain and to swerve. But you're going to have to have the courage to step in. Because a lot of times it's much easier to just let things be. 
Because you know what happens when you step in? They push back. And you're going to wonder, is it really worth it? Because it's hard. And the manner with which we go about that is born out of the love that we have for them and the desire that we have for them not to be right over them, but to protect them and put them in a place where they can grow and thrive. It's going to require courage to do this, brothers, but the manner with which we do it, it, it matters. It's going to take courage to engage. You and I are not given the permission to withhold the truth of God's word out of a fear of how it may be received. But not only are we going to have to exhibit this kind of courage, brothers, we have to keep going. Paul reminds these elders that just as he has done, they too are going to have to reject the temptation towards partiality. Verse 21 is very simple, but don't miss it. All of his love, all of his teaching, all of his time, all his, his testifying to the grace of God, Paul is very clear. He did it both to Jews and to Greeks. Remember, we talked about it last week. This was a man who at one time thought Gentiles were dogs. If he had come into contact with them, he would have had to cleanse himself from them. Now he's given himself away for their sake. Church, you need to understand this. Fellow pastors, brothers, you need to understand this. As elders, we don't represent factions of people. And we don't pastor only groups of people according to our choosing and liking. When the elders come together to meet, we don't come together as a body that represents different groups. We don't pick and choose who we love and who we serve according to whatever manner we go about doing that. That's a natural temptation, but we have to be aware of it. We might, we might divide our care in particular ways to better improve our care. But as elders, together, shepherds and pastors, we're responsible for everyone. We have to be aware of and reject the temptation to partial pastoring. If you and I only care about a particular group of God's people, if you only care to love and serve a particular portion of the church, then this office and this responsibility is, is not the role for you quite yet. Brothers, we're going to have to reject this temptation towards partiality, and we're going to have to then prioritize, above all things, the gospel. Brothers, prioritize this good news. Here, Paul, he didn't shrink back from declaring anything that was profitable as he taught from house to house and in public, testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 27, Paul reminds them, I did not shrink, again, this word shrink, from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. This courage, this selflessness, this humility, this impartiality, it's all at the service of the advancement of the gospel. Paul wanted to see as many men and women and children as possible enjoying the grace of God and transformation through the work of God the Holy Spirit. 
Paul's chief aim was to preach the glory of Christ and the unfolding plan of God's redemption, starting in the very beginning of the story, the unfolding of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the determination of God to save for himself a people out of this sin-broken world through the seed of the woman who would come and crush the head of Satan, the one who has come in God's own son and won for his people the victory over Satan's sin and death. I commend to you, Paul said, the word of God's grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all of those who are sanctified. Brothers, this is your chief commitment. We must be committed to the word of God's grace, the gospel. It and it alone is the only thing capable of transforming sinners increasingly into the image and likeness of Jesus. Church, you've got to understand the principal responsibility of your pastors is to teach, preach, and prioritize the word of God clearly, comprehensively, and compellingly. That's a whole sermon in itself, but we won't go there right now. Elders must love their Bibles, be surrendered to their Bibles. Elders must be about the business of being able to take the word of God and clearly connect it to the realities of life and in the process of being able to do that more comprehensively and clearly and compellingly. Loving pastors, loving shepherds, prioritize the growth, the nourishment of God's sheep. And here's the thing, you can know all the sheep you can know which ones need what thing, and you can prioritize you know, who, who likes to have their head scratched and their bellies rubbed, and you can build all the best fences, put all the best watchmen on the corners, but do you realize that if you don't feed the sheep, they will die while you rub their bellies, make them comfortable and happy? Brothers, we are charged with the responsibility of nourishing the flock of God. We're charged with the healthy growth of God's people. That being the case, Paul is going to remind these pastors and God is going to charge us through him to not let complacency set in. Brothers, don't become complacent. Rather, verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for, to shepherd. That's where that word comes from, pastor. The church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Brothers, we've got to pay careful attention to the flock. We've got to understand the vulnerability and the weaknesses of the sheep. We've got to understand the makeup of the wolves that would seek to devour them. We've got to be aware of the dangers that sheep can easily wander into. I remember from talking about this before, and we've talked about the nature and the, the characteristics of sheep before. And I, I came across this story years ago in, in the AP press that over in Turkey, there, there was a sheep who was on a hillside who was wandering to find fresh grass to eat, and he wandered off the cliff. And do you know what happened? 
1,500 sheep followed him off the cliff. But only 450 died. Do you know why? Because as more and more sheep fell off, the pile got higher and softer. And only 450 eventually died. A good shepherd has to know the vulnerability and the weaknesses of the sheep. The dangers that sheep can easily wander into. And that careful attention, for some of you if you've ever wondered why, but that careful attention extends all the way down to being aware of the sheep that we're actually responsible for. That's why if you call Redemption Hill home, you've understood the membership process here goes through the pastors of the church. Because we have to understand who we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account for one day. The stricter judgment that's going to come to us for this. This also allows you as members to know clearly who your particular pastors are. You realize not every pastor in the city of Richmond, not every pastor that you listen to online has responsibility for you. Elders have to pay very careful attention to the flock that God has made us overseers of, but even more so. Don't become complacent. Pay careful attention, Paul says to yourself. We have to be very careful as books write about pastoral ministry and, and this shepherding metaphor, it, it is the picture that God uses from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament to talk about this office and this role. But we've got to be very careful that we don't press the metaphor so far that we miss the fact that pastors, that elders, those that shepherd or care for the local flock of God, They're still sheep too. We're just as vulnerable to deception, to fear, to self-interest. We're just as sinful. Even the shepherds of Israel in the Old Testament, they, they exhibited this for us. I mean, Moses, the one who used the symbol of his authority that God gave him. That staff that God gave him to lead his people, that staff that Aaron helped him hold up over his head while God defeated their enemies, that same symbol of his authority he used to strike the rock in anger, didn't he? David was no perfect shepherd, was he? Ezekiel chapter 34, read that sometime. God's people were in captivity and God indicts his pastors, shepherds for their situation. Brother pastors, watch your life and your doctrine. Not just the X's and O's of your theology, but watch your life. Paul will tell Timothy to do this and persist in it. For by doing it, you will save both yourself and your hearers. If your theology and all of your right thinking isn't transforming your heart into a warmer worship and communion with God, then it's filthy rags. It's just information. Brothers, remain sensitive to your sinfulness and the ongoing necessity of repentance and faith for your own heart. Repentance and faith are the necessary components of selfless 
sacrificial, courageous, impartial, unfading, grace-driven leadership. And this is no small matter because this is the church of God. Paul reminds them in verse 28, this is the people that God obtained with his own blood. Let that sink in for just a minute. I don't know what you've thought about the church in your lifetime, but let that sink in for just a minute. Think about it like a human for a moment. You and I put value on things in this world according to the price we pay for them, right? The house we're in, the car we drive, the toys we collect, the clothes we wear. God was willing to pay this price to obtain his church. The blood of his own son. The chief shepherd. There has never been and there never will be a shepherd of God's people more humble, more sacrificial, more courageous, more impartial, more grace-driven to the glory of God the Father than Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you hear all of this and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to understand this morning that God extends to you an invitation to become a part of his flock. You need to rightly understand that your sin has alienated you from him. But he is inviting you into his flock and his family. If you would but turn from your sin and believe upon his son, Jesus, the chief shepherd, one that will never, ever falter or fail like the shepherds of this church do at times. P.J. Smythe, he was a pastor of South Africa. He was here in the States for a while. He, he wrote a book on church leaders one time. And he said three main things contribute to the scarcity of elders today. He said it's a deficit of character, a deficit of courage, and a deficit of vision. This morning, church family, I'm, I'm going to ask that you continue to watch Watch for what Paul will call the gifts that God has given his church in those who exhibit this kind of character and love for his people. You know, in one sense, we, we don't choose who God appoints as pastors and elders in his church. We have to be on the lookout for them. I don't get an, an email or a phone call from the Holy Spirit with a, a list of names and a list of people for the installation of pastors in the church. We, we have to be paying attention. We need to ask for God's guidance. We need to examine lives and be careful that we don't make things that God doesn't prioritize priorities in understanding who he's given us as pastors. And church, I'm going to ask you before we pray for the pastors here that you continue to be realistic in your expectation of the shepherds. You should always be on the lookout for qualified pastors. 
whose character and, and lives are looking like what Paul talks about. But remember, your pastors and your elders are still sheep. They're still full of sin. They're still weak. It can be a crushing burden on a pastor, on a shepherd, when the church forgets that the shepherds are still sheep too. But most importantly, here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask that you would continue to pray for the elders and the pastors in this church because we're still sheep, because we're still men full of sin and weakness. We need your prayers. I mean, they're essential. Pray that we would continue to grow in humility. Pray that we would continue to grow in holiness. Pray that we would continue to grow in faithfulness and that Satan would not gain a foothold through us and in us because of our sin. Pray that the Holy Spirit would enable us with the kind of selflessness and humility and courage and impartiality and grace-drivenness to shepherd, care for, and lead the church well. Pray that we may finish our course in the ministry that we receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And so this morning, we're going to do that very thing. Let me invite the, the elders and those who we are praying for as installing new elders up front this morning. And we're going to respond to God's word this morning by praying together as a church family. If you guys want to come on up, we will figure out how to um, stand here and not be grossly offensive to everyone in our distancing from each other, but you know. This is fair enough. I won't go and touch everybody, although if you want to put your hands on each other's shoulders, that's fine by me. I don't mind that. But church family, we we have the the privilege of installing four new elders this morning. And I, I can say on a personal level that it has been such a gift to be able to serve the church with the men that God has given us. I'm a sheep, and these are my pastors who help me see my sin and, and my weakness. And I couldn't be more thankful for them. And so this morning, that was my timer. We're going to pray and we're going to thank the Lord and commend ourselves to his grace and his word. So join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for, for your grace. Your grace that has called us to yourself. Your grace that has taken our hearts of stone and made them hearts of flesh that desire and enjoy your word. That see your word as life. And Lord, we ask this morning that you would continue to bring our hearts to a place of surrender and delight to the words of your grace. Lord, for the pastors that you are calling to serve your church. Lord, we pray for your ongoing wisdom, your ongoing protection, your ongoing guidance. God, we ask that you would give each of these men an unquenchable thirst for the gospel. 
a thirst for the words of life that can never be satisfied apart from you. Lord, we ask that you would also give the shepherds of your church here at Redemption Hill an an unflinching courage to love and to lead well. Lord, we ask that you would guard our hearts, you would guard our lives, you would guard our families. And Lord, this morning we, we commend these pastors and these shepherds. We commend them as your people to the word of your grace. And we charge them to hold fast to it, to never let go of it, to cling to it with all they have, that we might not only love and serve your church well, but that we would finish the course that you've laid out for us. We ask this morning that you would do that very thing for Jesus' glory, for the joy of your people. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Robert Green at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church and to hear other sermons like this, visit us online at redemptionhill.com.